Welcome to In Scripture Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us while we dive into Scripture to dissect God's Word verse by verse. Listen with us and don't forget to leave any questions or feedback as you journey with us through His Word. Welcome, everybody, to In Scripture Podcast. Here we are. Serge, let me ask you a question. No. <laughs> Do you have an enemy in your life? <laughs> I'm looking at it. <laughs> um, no. In terms of people, no. I don't. Make one. <laughs> no. no, thank you. Everybody's probably wondering what we're talking about, so we're going to start our podcast off with uh, some sermon discerning practice run for everybody. This one's level one, so... Level. <laughs> it, should be, it should be obvious. Should be fairly obvious. We got a 30-second clip. If you don't have a devil in your life, make one. That's right. It's a little controversial, I know, but what makes God so powerful is my question. Mm. The enemy. Yeah. Take the enemy away. What is God? He won't be all-powerful because power and being all-powerful requires there to be an enemy. That was the longest 30 seconds of my life. I love how he then just shrugs (laughs) on the video. All right, where do we begin? Um, There's hard to say. I think... If you look at some of his logic, there could be some truth in it. Now, I'm not saying exactly to what he said, but there's a principle there that could be true. In terms of you're saying you don't know how powerful you are until you have something to compare yourself to? No, you don't know how powerful something is until the full power is, is exerted. Okay. But it doesn't mean that it's not powerful, but you don't know it fully until it is. Like, how do you measure the power of something? How do you measure the horsepower on a car? How do you know? You can estimate maybe based off of physics, but you don't fully know until you Somehow, put it on a dyno. I doubt that's the direction that guy was going in. I yeah. Somehow that, that with the statements and questions he was making in the in the uh, in those 30 seconds i highly doubt that that's the direction he was going yeah no i was just like thinking because i had a similar thought but different based on the principle that we just talked about so, so let's, how, how let's would look you, at his first okay. what he's i think right off the bat the first thing we can his first lines we can conquer here is um, he pretty much puts uh, god's omnipotence on the existence of the devil Based otherwise, on the yes. Of otherwise, how do you know that God is powerful? But it's not even how do you know. He's saying God's not powerful unless there's an enemy, and that's a completely di- that's the wrong thing in his logic. Yeah. But there's a lot of ways we can counter that from different points of view. I think, in terms of um, describing God's power. Well, like yeah. Let me play again from the very beginning. Uh, is it on? Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, let me turn it back on. Okay. 
If you don't have a devil in your life, make one. Like even that, right? That's that's where he starts, and then he goes on to say, "God's only powerful when there's an enemy; otherwise, he's not." And that's not at all the case. But also saying, "If you don't have a devil in your life, make one." Like, where is he even getting that from? You yeah, I mean, just if, looking at that in and of itself. If anything, Scripture teaches to, you know, be faithful, and the devil will flee from us yeah or we run away from him one way or the other mm-hmm. it never calls us to find an enemy to ex- exhort our power or god's power on them for i the think sake. god speaks of himself quite a bit throughout scripture and um, i was digging around and the first thing that came to my mind is um if we look at for example in Acts 17 um Acts 17 verse 24 it's written that it says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life breath and all things, and he, is, has, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell in all the face of the earth and has determined uh, their pre-appointed times and their boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from one of us. For in him we lived and move and have our being. And also some of you own poets, some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. And there's, we could go on further, but just that beginning part talking about that, what, what, how, who God is being the creator is not something that man can even compare to or even fully grasp. Yeah. Um, I was going to actually question. Go, I was going to go on that same track too, where God created. I was looking if you read Hebrews 11, three, um, the author states that the universe was created by the word of God. He literally spoke things into, into being. Yeah. Into being, he didn't have to do the thing that he actually put effort into creating was man himself, um, and even that he then breathed the breath of life into him. But Satan himself was technically created by God, right? We call him Satan, but um, the fallen one. The fallen one, but he was, you know, in heaven, right, ministering to God pretty much. He was, um, if I remember correctly, he was the one that kind of exemplified God's glory in heaven and became proud and was therefore cast out by God. So if you were to question God's power and you're saying that, you know, his power is based on the existence of Satan, that's already, that's blasphemy pretty much, you could say. What did, um, remember what God said to Moses? I am who I am. I am. His name alone, right? If you read Genesis, you know how God created life here on earth and the universe. And then if you read Revelations in the book of Daniel, I mean, he's going to exert, like we were talking about, he's going to exert his power through creation and at the same time through its destruction. Um, Also Hebrews, and I think Hebrews is, is... an awesome book to to look into when God is God is really described to 
you know, to the own nation that thought they knew God, but they didn't understand so much about him. And so a lot of the things that's described, especially in the beginning of the book, in chapter 3, verse uh, verse 2, it says, uh, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house. Because we know that Moses was a very highly uh, respected and, and, you know, man individual man of faith that the, the nation looked to. But it says in verse 3, for this one... God has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Yeah, what is Mark? I feel like Mark's got a lot to say, but I think there's many things to say. I'm just kind of like shooting, shooting darts here. Yeah, I think there's a lot that we can talk about. One of my favorite examples of God's power being displayed in creation is when He answers Job, and I say Job because it's a joke, inside joke. Job, <laughs> um, when he answers Job, and so he says, Job 38, 3, dress for action like a man, I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation mm-hmm. of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. So it's like he goes on and on, and he even says, like, who was the one who put the borders of the oceans and, like, where to stop and for where the waves to cease? And he like brings up all these wonderful points and he goes on through multiple chapters about how great he is. It's just like God created everything. Who are you to even say anything or to even oppose him? And he, he is, he has no one to answer to, I guess, from a perspective of he is the almighty, he is the supreme and he is all sovereign. Cause like even in Romans, when Paul is talking in Romans nine, he says, who are you, O man to question? Right, just talking about the sovereignty of God. Romans nine, uh, fifteen. Oh yeah, hold on, no. Romans nine nineteen. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? What will its molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? So he's just saying, like God is all powerful, all supreme, and all sovereign. And I think there's more that we can say. Yeah, there's a lot more to say. But why did you bring this up, Alex? Why is it so important for us to listen to this? Blast, uh, because blast I think, it. first of all, it's very out there. It's very prevalent. Um, it's very intriguing sometimes to listen to these kinds of things. And you might, once in a while, who knows if you're visiting somewhere, going somewhere, you might find yourself in a service and somebody can say, Let's just say this, even if this was a snippet of a sermon that was an hour long that maybe was way better than this 30-second clip we just heard, because um, uh, to, give, to give kind of, you know, a benefit of the doubt to the guy preaching here, we don't know what the rest of his message was, right? Um, kind of don't really want to <laughs> Yeah, I don't, because even that 30 seconds was painful. But my point is, these things can be in a one-second clip. These things can be in a 30 second clip. You really have to carefully listen. And um, I think when you listen to further of this message, it actually talks about how uh, <laughs> it actually says pretty much like, you got to look at yourself. Uh, there's going to be haters in your basically spiritual walk that will bring you down, but you got to fight them. 
Um, there's always going to be enemies that you'll have, but you got to succeed, fight them, go further and have that victory with God. And it's a lot of emphasis on you. You, you got to do this. You have the power to do all these things. And so um, the, the beginning concept here was that an enemy is a good thing to have because God has an enemy. Um, what really touched me and kind of made me a little bit, I would say, even angry is that, first of all, the 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 uplifting of as if as if he's like uplifting Satan to be so powerful that he's like even worthy to be an enemy of God. Do you know what I mean? Like there's there's this slight elevation of who who Satan actually is. Is is Satan more powerful than a man, a creation man? I mean, he's an angelic being, right? He was created as an angelic being. So there is a difference there. But how can you compare a creation to the creator? But like even the words that he said, like if there was no enemy, who would God be? And then someone answered in the crowd, nothing. nothing. Yeah. <laughs> so like the, you, you can tell the mentality of the crowd and kind of, yeah. we ourselves are not coming to this own conclusion. His crowds are. And then he's just like, kind of like this obvious shrugging uh, his shoulders at the end be like, hey, you know, like, I mean, he's kind of just like admitting that that's what his message is about. The fact that if there was no one to oppose God, he would be nothing. How does that even make sense? It's, yeah, I don't know. Um, and then, you know, our whole point was, I think our automatic rebuttal was, is like, God doesn't, God doesn't need any, anything to be all powerful. He doesn't need anything to, first of all, he doesn't need to prove anything, but at the same time, he doesn't need anything to be compared to him in order to show how powerful he is. Mm -hmm. I think um, he he mentions just by being a creator already how much power that is. Mm -hmm. You know, you read Job. Where were you when, when everything was laid, the foundation of the earth? It's like that already speaks so much power and majesty that you don't need a, an essential enemy. The enemy was... Uh, I think a failure, uh, not by God, but a failure by of the creation, right? Mm -hmm. Satan chose to elevate himself and fall away. And so it's like, I don't know. We could get into a deep rabbit hole, I think, but... Well, I think there's a good example. Maybe we can look at it from the perspective of what we started in the beginning saying, power is measured by a test of something. Either power or an attribute is measured. You, your humility is measured. But not, not God. Yeah, well, also his attribute his attributes, um, mm -hmm. not necessarily are measured, but are displayed by, um, some of his works. I'm just like thinking there's, uh, this lyric that goes, um, hold on. Sorry. I was thinking about, well, you think to go back to your original question, um, <coughs> just to continue on what I was saying is we have to be careful because like I said, this could be a blurb. Somebody could say something from a, from a, from a pulpit it could be a, a little quick sentence and it, it happens way more often than we think. And it actually happens in way closer boundaries than we think too. You don't have to fly to some city that has a church somewhere that you heard about on Instagram or something. This so, could Sometimes happen. people make mistakes too. True. Like sometimes you can say something without fully thinking about it. And then someone's like, wait, what did you mean by that? Like, wait, is that what I said? You know, I think we should approach and ask. Yeah, especially if we hear something that's, um, but that's why I said that was a little bit of level one, <laughs> so, <laughs> because if you really read the Bible, you should be able to uh, have your brain hurt right away as soon as you hear that. Yeah. So for anyone that did not catch on of what our conclusion is, is the thing that was played, it's it's wrong. It's false teaching. Blasphemy. Yeah, it's yeah. false teaching. And Scripture blasphemy, does not yeah. say that. 
teach that. So the, the lyric goes, you're the lion, yet the lamb. The You are humble, yet I am. So it's like talking about God and also talking about Christ um, when he was here on this earth. And I was just thinking he was, and this is maybe just my thoughts on the lyrics, but also because when God has his attributes, he displays them at all times. You know what I mean? He is humble, yet he's also all powerful. Mm -hmm. And it's like, there's no times where certain attributes um, exist less in him. Maybe they're not on full display, but he's always humble. He's always loving. He's always like, you know, also righteous. Um, And so I was just thinking, even on the cross, how is, how is power displayed? Here's just my thought going back, back to our original topic. I was just like looking in uh, Chronicles, the valiant deeds of David's men are written down. Um, and it talks about the guy with the spear who killed a thousand men. And he's like, he's rated in the top three in David's like powerful uh, forces. But he's, he's the only reason he's there is because he displayed his power by killing a thousand men at once in a battlefield. Um, and I'm just thinking about Christ. How do we know he's powerful? He was on the cross. He took on our sins for us. All of our sins. All of our sins. He defeated death by rising from the, the dead. You know what I mean? That is how his power was displayed. How is he humble? He was on the cross, right? While at the same time displaying power, he was humble by taking on this form of humiliation. And you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. it's amazing to see his attributes displayed. Satan had nothing to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It was us. <laughs> were we were we a mistake? That's not, that's the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> another episode, another time. All right. So let's get into a little bit of um Ephesians. You guys had well, we had I think an awesome recording last time. Unfortunately I, I had to slip out towards the end there, but I'm sure um give noticed. us a give us a quick rundown if you would, of where you guys kind of paused. Sure. So um, we talked about, uh, we ended, I think, a verse 19. Um, That's, I think that's where we ended, but we might actually pick up just a little bit before uh, verse 17. But leading up to that, we talked about uh, how important it is for Christians to continue to grow spiritually, to, as uh, Paul writes here, to a mature manhood, to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. That is our ultimate goal to the wisdom and knowledge of God that we need to try to attain to, and not just the wisdom and knowledge, but also our behavior, our actions. And um, and the reason for that, not just because God calls us to that, but because of what follows that, where he talks about how we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro by waves of carried about by every wind of doctrine, human kind and craftiness, deceitful schemes, right? Those things shouldn't deter our faith and our belief our foundation and like we just heard uh there's definitely people like that out there and this is just one guy we definitely know probably could name you know tens if not hundreds of others just here in america um if not around the world there's definitely more and so all across scripture we see that same message that we need to be weary and we need to be uh, vigilant of false teachers because like you said it's up to us as an individual person to be able to discern what is and is not true teaching. And 
he goes on to say that, you know, we should talk to each other in love and truth, uh, grow each other up into the head of Christ, that we are one body with uh, all joined together. We have different responsibilities, different gifts. We talked about that earlier in Ephesians 4, that all of that we are to work together to edify the church. Um, and starting from verse 17, it talks... Um, Paul kind of transition pivots a little bit how he kind of starts to compare the he's technically writing to the Gentiles the church in Ephesus and he's addressing the Gentiles in the church and now he's kind of saying although you are still Gentiles right you're not Jews but now no longer there you're no longer there's no longer a thing of Gentiles because we're all unified we're all one in Christ so there's no technically no longer Gentiles, but he has this term Gentiles here in verse 17, and he was referring to people that are now outside the church, not necessarily not a Jew, but mm-hmm. anyone that has not accepted Christ as their savior. I think we should read 17, uh, maybe just 17 through 19 for now, and then we can kind of dive into, because what you're saying is starting to kind of get the ball rolling. I yeah, think, about and 17. I mean, I only go over just because we talked about it last week, so okay. I don't want to spend too much time on these cup. That's first right, two you guys verses. said you did stop at 19, yeah. right? So, um, but yeah, he ta- and he goes into like this idea, or not idea, but he goes into this uh, formality of instruction, how we ought not to behave. Yep. He does say, walk as the rest of the Gentiles. And so uh, that, that kind of caught my eye there because like you said, uh, he's writing who he's writing to his audience, but then he says the rest of. So that means there is Gentiles that are not uh, as far as the Gentile, or as, I would say as close to Christ as the Gentiles he's writing to, basically people that don't believe in him. He's talking about unbelievers, unbelievers, but, yeah, but yeah. also specifically Gentiles, not unbelieving Jews. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mark, did you maybe want to read for us, uh, starting from verse 17? Sure. Then, I'll read this whole thing in, in uh, context 24, 17 uh, to 24. 17, yeah. Let's go for it. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to, the hard, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy, of every practice, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. All right, who's going to kick us off? Which verse do you want to start from 20? We can start with both. Both. <laughs> <laughs> what I meant was like <laughs> verse one and seventeen. Nineteen and twenty. The old and the new. <laughs> um, so it seems like what what Paul's writing here is that if you learn Christ, you will be changed, correct? There should be a change. Well, I think there's an emphasis on which Christ which or how you learn Christ, right? Mm-hmm. Because it seems like there might be a misunderstanding because there's verse 20, there's for a reason, right? He says, but that is not the way you learn Christ. So it's either the church is allowing 
false practices or doctrines into the church, or the fact that maybe they were misled outside of the church and now they're completely fallen away from. Do you think it's kind of like a almost obvious rhetorical question? But not, but not really, but more like a statement because he says, verse 20, but this is not the way you learned Christ. So I guess the question is, what is he talking about when he says learned Christ or the way you learned Christ? Is he talking about like, I guess there's different grammatical ways that you can put that in the English. What is uh, your, or what are the other translations put there? For verse 20, how does it sound in other translations? Um, I have in KJ, it says, but that is not the way you learn Christ, exclamation mark, learn. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Got to go to the original source. Would you say that um, this would have to do something with your salvation and your new birth? Mm, verse 20 true mm, true learning no. of christ well, uh, i wouldn't say salvation just thinking say. thinking uh thinking ahead here i feel like it's almost as if um in terms of the means of how they were taught about christ meaning mm-hmm. from the pulpit through the preaching of the gospel instead of because if you take the cultural background the romans or the greeks uh a lot of ways of how they understood to worship their gods was through either uh, intense drunkenness and a lot of different sexual activity. Mm-hmm. That was very prominent. Not with all of them, but that was a very prominent way of for them to get to, quote, quote, know their God or worship their God or, or things like that. Um, so it could be why he's mentioning these specific types of acts in, in these verses here. Uh, but it could also mean, um, yeah, I think I'm not going to double say myself, but yeah, I think that's what he means is that you learn Christ through the pulpit, through humility, through measuring up to Christ and not what you see are, around you. I'm looking at it and I'm thinking maybe, now here's a maybe, when he's saying this is not the way you learned Christ, meaning that when you learned about Christ and all that he's about, this is not the way. That, this is not what Christ is about. Referencing 17 through 19? Yeah. So he's mm-hmm. saying 17 through 19 again. Now this is saying, testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. So these characteristics of... Yeah. What the Gentiles had. Yeah. They have mm-hmm. become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So if you know Christ at all, you will come to understand that this does not exemplify nor have anything to do with Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and then, you know, 21 through 24 is then he it describes what the proper way to hear and get taught and know the truth in Jesus is, and what it make what it makes you. Mm-hmm. It makes you changed because you are not what seventeen through nineteen says. You are going to be what twenty one through twenty four says. Well, I think he's trying to make a distinction of right, almost like right worship. Would you would you think that he's trying to make a distinction of of what is right versus wrong in terms of uh, learning Christ? Or am I just reading between the lines things that don't exist? I think, 
Yes, but I think he's also talking about putting off the old and putting on the new. And we see that here uh, specifically. And I think if we look at, he kind of begins here um, similar to chapter four, verse one, I therefore, a person of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he's calling them towards a worthy calling. Mm -hmm. And this is how you ought to walk. And I think, let me find this passage a little earlier on where he says that, um, this is who you were before, but you are no longer in such way. Um, uh, two, five. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, um, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Um, so it talks about like the old and the new, and there's this yeah. ongoing message. Yeah, like like you said, it's actually in verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out our desires with the body and mind, and were by nature children of wrath. And then you, he goes on to say, by, by God, his rich mercy and grace, he saved us through Christ. So I can definitely see where he's going here by saying, these are the things that non-Christian people do. And we being born in Christ, again, we are a new creation, right? We have a new mindset. Uh, if you read Paul's letter, Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, right? He says, being transformed by the renewal of your mind uh, by the Spirit. And I think that message clearly conveys here by him saying, you know, these are the things that we need to put to death. Fleshly desires, sexual immorality, um, all this futility of our minds, no longer walking as the world does, because he says the same thing in Colossians chapter three, right? Put, he says, put to death uh, all your earthly passions. And he gives a huge list of all those things. Um, well, sexual morality being pretty much in every single time he makes a list like that, sexual morality is pretty much always listed there. So it was definitely a big problem. Maybe not so much as in the church, maybe definitely more around the church, outside the church in the world. And he was maybe warning them saying that even though you live in the world like this, remember we are Christians and that we are to be Christ-like. And this is not how Christians are defined by acting in those ways. Instead, we are defined by this. And he goes on to say that we are to put off our old selves, which belongs to the manner of life and is corrupt and being renewed in the spirit of your minds. Mm-hmm. In this transition between the old and the new in verse 21, what do you guys think his point is in saying, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him? When I hear assuming or if indeed, mm -hmm. it's like he's responding, responding to them saying, if you think you have or if you believe you have or Mm -hmm. if, if you say you have. That's how I see it. If indeed you have heard him. So... Um, if you truthfully just not only heard him, but also were taught right, in him. Heard, so there's heard him, taught by him, and then it says truth is in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So you have to hear, learn, and see the truth that is Jesus. Hear well, about him. So I'm just thinking, hear about him. Sorry, Serge, go ahead. No, finish your thought. There's also learn, we just talked about in verse 20 there's a testimony of who he was uh, amongst the people, amongst the public, and he was perfect and flawless. Even, what was his name? Pontius Pilate could find no fault in him. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
there is a ongoing testimony here about him. Have you heard about him? Yes. Were you taught in him? Were you taught in the same teachings that he taught when we think about the Sermon in the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, right? When he talks about how you ought to do the good thing and no longer do the bad. And he, he, he brings up the Beatitudes and um, there's a lot of really good uh, lessons in there. And I'm just thinking like taught in him in the truth and then as the truth is in Jesus. So not only just like a truth or some truth, but the truth. I'd like to take you to 1 John 5.20. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Mm-hmm. First John has a lot of really good points too. And he even brings up like, if you claim yourself to be a believer, you must do the works of Christ. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of what Paul is bringing up here too, where he says, this is who this is who you once were, or you must no longer be as the Gentiles do, right? You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then verses 18 through 19 is how the Gentiles walk. Um, and then 20 through 21 is this transition about, that's Christ has nothing to do with that. Even walking and walking and being like Christ is the complete opposite. And then so verses 22 through 24, he kind of explains, you must put away the old self and now put on this new self and walk in righteousness. Um, yeah. If we see, if we see that it starts verse 22, that you put off, does that mean something was already there or already on you, or you were in a condition of sort? So if you if you have to put something off, take something off, does that mean something was on you that was previous? I would assume so, yes. Mm-hmm. So what I'm my point being here is that um every each each person that accepts Christ has to put off what was on mm-hmm. him. There's no exceptions. There's no person that doesn't have something on him. Would you agree? But in this context he's saying to the as the the rest of the Gentiles. So um don't be walking around with something you need to put off your former old conduct. Da? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was looking something up while you guys were talking, so I'm a little old. I I have a example in IT world, but not fully kind of like, you know, it won't be a good parallelism. I can relate, I'm sure. I'm just thinking like when you have something that's, corrupt with viruses and everything the best way to do is to delete and start over right technically that's the most assured way that you can be sure that there is nothing dirty left on the drive you can run antivirus scans and hopefully you mean if you drag it in the recycle bin so like (laughs) and that's just a common thing where systems can get corrupt you can try to restore them to previous states um, but if the corruption began a long time ago and you're just catching it, you can't really fix it. So the best way is to start new. Well, that goes to what you're saying because um, it also says right after those words, the old man which grows corrupt mm-hmm. according to deceitful lusts. So the old man, if not put off, will grow corrupt. Yeah. Grow. I don't want to like kind of use this to explain IT. <laughs> I don't know if, if you can kind of relate, Serge. No, I know. I mean, I don't deal with... Does a virus with, grow, though, if it's yes. in? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So also, it, corruption can grow, too, yeah. in a database. There's and, growth. It's never just one place. 
you know? Yeah. Looking at sins, you can't just say, well, I do this one little sin, you know, what's the big deal? There's never that. I think it's an, it, there's always growth of even the Yeah, sin but the grow. punishment for sin is death. Doesn't matter doesn't matter what again. sin it is. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's one of the devil's tactics is to try to make us think that one sin is worse than the other, mm-hmm. where in the eyes of God, there's only pretty much, you know, one sin that's worse, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, right? That is pretty much the worst sin you can do in the eyes of God, but everything else is pretty much on the same playing field. It's going to get the same eternal judgment. Um, but at the same time, it will have a different outcome for in us our eyes. Yeah. It might have a different outcome here on earth for us, right? But in t- terms of like the spiritual judgment realm, it, it won't. It's all going to be the same. But it's interesting how you say like one little sin can give so much room to growth because if you come beca- get used to it, you're going to accept it as the norm. And when you accept that as the norm, you're going to give way to something else and then something else and it's going to grow. Boundaries shift. Boundaries shift. Kind of like with kids If if not, disappear. Like a good example is earlier on, he's talking about you can't be like kids tossing to and fro, bouncing between doctrines and false teachings. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think maybe the example here specifically, and I was just looking at this book of Ephesians and it's such a wonderful book for new believers because the first three chapters talks about what Christ has done for us. And now we are joined together within him and also joined together as a church. Then he opens up this beautiful display of union in chapter four. And now he's talking about, this is how you used to walk. You must no longer walk this way. You must leave that behind from this point forward, be renewed in your minds through Christ Jesus and through the spirit. And then put on the new self and walk in a way that is worthy of your calling, kind of like in Ephesians 4.1. And I was just thinking, going back to the growth of corruption, um, like children, when they're growing up, they test your limits. You say no, but like they'll start, you know, looking or touching something and kind of testing to see whether or not you're going to react. And then that boundary gets pushed. And I think that's the same with anywhere. If like maybe you have, uh, you were had strict guidelines at work before you got a new job and they're a little bit more lax. And then, so, you know, maybe that it's according to policy, but you're not really being policed. You can become lax and start growing, growing. And then one year down the road, you don't even realize how far you've gone. And I think that may be here. It might be similar with even the Gentiles where they had no restraint. They had no one to say no to them. And so they just did every little thing they wanted whatever their hearts desired, they did. And he's saying, you must no longer walk like the Gentiles do. You must no longer believe that's the case. And I don't think that's restricting either. I think it's actually freeing. I was just thinking while reading this passage, like people who in our, uh, we are so blessed that we can take a shower anytime we want. You know what I mean? And it's a good feeling to be clean. It's like once you come into the habit of constantly taking a clean shower and putting on fresh clothes, it's like this good feeling. And sometimes it's like you start realizing, hey, I really got to take a shower. Probably not the best example, but I'm just thinking like um, it's up up to this point where you know what's good. You know what's right. You have everything to do. Why would you even go back to that which was dirty before? I think it's not just that. It's just when you live a life of sin you can't get out of it even if you tried without Christ, mm-hmm. without this power, this Holy Spirit. 
you can't do that. 100%. That's, that's where the whole bondage thing comes in. And he's warning, and Paul's warning us against that, saying that you can't live like this. You shouldn't because of Christians, because you're no longer bound. You're free in Christ now. If you are in Christ. If you are in Christ. Maybe verse 21, that's kind of what he's saying. If you have heard of him. Well, um, I guess I was looking up that one, and I think it's not so much of the fact that whether or not they heard of him or not. It's the fact that I think because, you know, Paul being a missionary and he has people that he constantly sends to different churches to check up on them, to teach mm-hmm. them and to leave them. And I think when we were first starting uh, Ephesians back in chapter one, we talked about, I, th- I think uh, we agreed upon that it might have been Timothy that was the pastor at this church mm-hmm. at that time. Um, not sure about the time when all oh, this was going on, but I think definitely at the time when he was writing this. And later in chapter six, I think he believes it says uh, that he's going to send Tychicus with the let with the, this letter and also to check up on them as well so he's definitely got people going around so i think it's he's just trying to say that you know you technically heard christ because we were the ones paul himself was mm-hmm. at ephesus he was the one there preaching the gospel too yeah and he's got people that he sends back and forth to check up on them or leave them there to minister to them so i think he's just saying that you technically heard christ assuming that I assume that you, the people reading this letter, actually heard the gospel message that I left or my people left. Do you think it's like a almost rhetorical, like if you actually heard of it, like saying where if you if you think if you're doing the deeds as you know if you're walking as the Gentiles do, and you think there's nothing wrong with that, did you really hear of Christ? Well, I think hearing. And accept, or I mean, like accepting you know, is two different things. No, no but that's what heard, I meant. Like, yeah, you might have heard, but you didn't. Do you know Christ? Like, truly? And maybe that's yeah. question, like as yeah. a test. They might know of Christ, but they don't know. If Christ indeed personally. you have, yeah. yeah. When we were reading verse twenty-two, I had a, <laughs> I had a thought today that was roaming through my head. So I was in another person's household today doing something, and here's one. So support me here. If you wear, <laughs> if you wear shoes inside your house, okay. Bless. So let's say no, not even that. Let's say you wear shoes inside your house. This is going to be compared to our spiritual state here in a way. Uh, bear with me. So you wear shoes inside your house. It's a little, it's a little deed, but over time, if not, if you don't fully rip those carpets out and or clean them, deep clean them to where they're almost brand new. Eventually, the the shoe marks and the dirt and stuff will just continuously grow. It'll grow. It'll end up being in your bedroom. I cannot imagine the rooms, the bathrooms. Okay, so it's constantly getting worse. And what's a way to, you know, clean all that? Is you either have to get rid of get rid of the old carpet, right? You have to put a new carpet on, but you can't go back to putting the shoes on because you're just gonna go back to the same thing. So point being is when the new carpet is in, you have to clean. This is just things I was thinking about because the person had white carpets inside their house. And I was like, oh man, and they were wearing shoes. And I was like, just thinking about that. And I'm like, this must be so much but see, work. Knowing that the carpet's so dirty, you probably didn't want to take your shoes off. Well, nobody did. So <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I think my socks would have got really dirty if I did. Um, but point being is if you do get rid of the old carpet, put new carpet in, you're now going to have to still maintain and clean it. And I think looking at verse 23, it says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So there is um, a constant work 
even even when you have heard um, and and learned Christ, you put off your old self. You can't just leave it at that. Mm. Um, you have to use your. You have to use. You are renewed by the Spirit, pretty much all the but time. But your mind, but your mind has to be renewed, otherwise, you, mind you, has to be renewed. Absolutely. So I think. So <laughs> if you get that new carpet at your house, you have to take care of the new carpet. You can't wear shoes anymore. And you probably have to clean other stuff too around your house because now you have a new refreshed. But you could be like some people where they just like leave the plastic wrap on their furniture. There's no plastic wrap on carpet. Although I know what you're saying. So then explain this phrase that he uses in verse 24, right? And to put on the we new We have the self, best analogies, dude. Put, <laughs> yeah, I feel like sometimes it's a little too far and I'm like, man, am I committing heresy here? No, I don't think so. Uh, what were you saying? Explain this phrase to me that he uses is to put on the new self. This is verse 24 in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. How should one interpret that? Okay. Well, we, yeah, we were just, we touched on renewed in the spirit of your mind. And if you continue and put the new man, which was created according to God. Help me connect that. What does it mean to be renewed in the spirit of your mind? What does that mean? Like, is there a spirit inside my head that's just changing my brain cells to think differently or? Um, that's probably referencing to you, like Mark said, your mind plays a big part in it is you have to, um, you first have to renew your mind and think, start thinking different. You can't think the same way. You can't go back to what you um, had before. It has to be a new mind. But I think um, to be renewed in the spirit of your mind have a mouth here, Mark. <laughs> he, he looks like he's struggling. Me too. Help me understand this. To put on the new self created. Who created it? The new self? Mm. I would assume God created it. Mm-hmm. He created yeah, everything. Because he gave us newness of life. So this newness of life, can we sin as Christians? Even though we have we have been created new, we are new creatures. Can we still sin? Yes. Yes. But we have the spirit. Yeah, Holy the, Spirit in us. The correct? Spirit, the Spirit is the one that guides us and also teaches us in the right walkings. And I think here is the example where, if you heard about Christ, um, you should no longer be walking such a way because of Christ's teachings, His teachings, and everything that He's taught was to walk in a worthy and in a righteous manner according to God. Um, and so we must be renewed. Our thinking and our mind mind has to be changed. Just just because we acknowledge our sin and we ask God for forgiveness. If we continue to walk down the same path, is that repentance, you know, because it's like you have the new self. So now you have to turn away from everything that you've done before your old manner of life and now walk in this new manner of life that is worthy of Christ. And we've already received this new being that is created. We have to put it on, but walk in a way of walk in the way of that new being rather than in the old. It's a new mind, new spirit when so, you're converted. So I just want to add on to what you were saying is that, yes, we as Christians, we still sin. And I think we can all attest to that from our personal lives. But I think it's our reaction towards that sin. Once we realize that sin, a person that's renewed by the spirit in their minds will say, this is not okay. I need to repent. 
right? Mm-hmm. I need to ask God for forgiveness and I need to either fix my mistake if it's fixable or make sure I, I try not to do it again. Process of sanctification, right? Whereas a person that isn't renewed by the spirit in their mind will see like, okay, uh, no one found out. Maybe I got away with it. Maybe I just got my hand slapped. It's okay, you know, just moving forward, whatever. That's it. And either they continue to do it and try not to get caught that time mm-hmm. or they okay it and and make it a norm and go on to something bigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is that right way or a, a possibility a way of, of how to interpret that being renewed in the spirit of the mind? Yeah, um, but I think also what is what is the putting on and putting off resembling? Like if we say put on and put off, could we think of it as being clothes or? I know something? I hear that analogy behind yeah. the pulpit a lot. I think, but yeah, it's it's not. But it's not just clothes. I think it's a way of life. It's a walk we can say, because if we look back to verse 17, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And then that same walk that he just describes in verses 18 through 19, he says that we must put off our old self in verse 22. So that putting off is actually a walk or a doing. A lifestyle. Yeah, a, a, a way of life, right? And now we must put on this new self. We've already achieved it but we must actually use it. You know what I mean? We have it because we have repented and God has forgiven us. And so we have to use it. And in order for us to use it, there has to be also a change of mind in how we go yes. forward. Agreed. Yeah. And there's there's a lot, you know, this, this really overlaps with the process of sanctification, right? And, you know, that's a whole probably podcast series on its own. But yeah, I do like... Um, I think I understand it now. I appreciate that, guys. I appreciate it a lot, too. I'm just like, you know, we're kind of almost like uh, struggling through it together and looking at it. And then it, once we come to an understanding, like, wow, there's a it lot, all makes sense. Yeah, there's a lot of pieces to this. And I just want to make sure that, you know, one, we understand it. And two, that our listeners can get a good grasp on it, too, and get something for themselves. And I think it's a good test to go back in previous verses and to see if what you're saying now if there actually is a connection made by the author, um, which I think clearly there is, if what you if what we're saying now connects and if it actually makes sense to what we said and even going further, because I know continuing on, there's going to be a constant comparison between old and new, between this is who you used to be, this is what you must do now. In Ephesians 5, it even goes on talking about like, um, for whoever was a thief, don't steal anymore. Yeah. Um, that's going to be in just a few verses later, but I think we'll probably save that for. Oh yeah, podcast. sorry. I was but, thinking five, but it's four twenty-eight. Yeah. Um, I do want to just this last uh, couple of words that he uses in true righteousness and holiness, and mm-hmm. I know we've talked about this before about holiness and how we are to be set apart from the world to be different in the likeness of God, right? There's nothing in this world that can be comparable to us because we are set apart for God. But um, this phrase, true righteousness, living in today's times, we can definitely see a shift in the world in understanding of what is right and what is wrong. In fact, um, maybe not even maybe 50 years ago, you can probably... It, you know, take just take the topic of homosexuality, right? Very big, prominent, very touchy, sensitive topic today. You know, 30, 50 years ago, everyone had the understanding that that's not morally right for people to do that. There was a small group maybe 
much smaller than there is today that probably participated in that in those actions or in that understanding. But back then, most of the things were that was majority wise. It was looked down upon as morally incorrect, wrong, ethically wrong, and just maybe not sinful, but it's just wrong. Like people don't. That's not natural. Whereas today, it is just the complete opposite. That ideology is pushed so much and so hard. And because now it's more easier because the standard of righteousness or just even morales of people of the world has gone way down. And so now that is perceived as righteousness. And if you try to talk against that, in their eyes, you're you're an oppressor. You are not right to do that. But here Paul clearly tells us that the true righteousness is in God and in his word, not what the world thinks. Um, I had, I was quiet for a while. I wanted to agree, but also disagree with that. Yeah, we can, we can, um, we can, this Finally, is along the lines, this is along the lines of what you're saying. So I was like pondering for a while. Um, Galatians 2.20, um, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Mm-hmm. So the life of the flesh is still there, but we now live in faith. When you accept Christ and repent, um, you put on your we new are self. Cl- clothed in his righteousness. Yes. Okay. And so going to this, uh, Serge, you brought up um, you brought up 24, verse 24, that you put on the new man which was created according to God. If it's according to God, it will have true righteousness and holiness. And so when I looked up those two words, um, biblically speaking, I'd like to point out that I did have to use a little bit of note, notes that I saw from um, different authors. But one, one note that I really liked, just to distinguish righteousness and holiness, because there are actually meanings behind these mm-hmm. two words, I think. Um, and to kind of wrap our mind around, righteousness is... Um, Christian's moral responsibility to his fellow man. Holiness is a Christian's responsibility to God. I would disagree with those statements. Go ahead. Tell me why. Because that's application. That's not actually a definition of the word. Oh, no, I didn't mean that as a definition. I apologize. I meant, I meant, so if you, if you're, if if you're applying that to a Christian, say it again, because I was thinking like, not what righteousness the, the specific, and means and holiness means. The specific means. definition. No. Because here it says that we are created after the likeness of God. So in him, right. true righteousness and holiness resides. And so a Christian's perspective to another Christian, that has that's not what God has in him. I, as far as I'm just saying, like between man and man, because God is, well, if somebody God asks is righteous. You, what is righteousness? God what is, is righteous righteousness, and God is holy. What is righteousness that God, that God gives you? What does that mean to you? What is righteous? What is the righteousness in God, and what is the holiness in God? Mm-hmm. Well, we know that God is now living, um, it living in us. So through that, we get true righteousness and holiness. Correct. Mm-hmm. So we covered that. But what is in in regards to what? Or can you not even say in regards to what? Just in general, in everything. I think he brings up further examples in verses twenty five, how that applies. Um, this whole section, verses 17 through 24, he's talking about old and new. Mm-hmm. And I think he's talking 
in general terms, but if you wrap it in the previous context, the paragraph that we were studying before, but also the following one that we're about to read, it's again this unity between Christians. So I think that's what you're saying specifically, but here he's also, he's kind of generalizing some of these terms and he's kind of like, it's almost like he's taking a step back and he's like, okay, let's cover the basics. You were, you must no longer walk in such a way for you um, have been, you should be renewed in your mind because of what Christ did for you and this um, new being you must put on. So he's kind of like going back to the basics and then he's going to continue on talking about how you ought to behave towards one another in love, but also in your daily walk as a Christian. But it's as far as application goes, and there, yes, he, he goes back and forth. But if I'm asking here, what does Paul mean by righteousness and holiness? In God is righteousness and holiness. Holiness is set apart. So he is set apart from everyone else. There is no one like him. And so we are, we as Christians ought to be holy, but we, this holiness and righteousness is from God and it is in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness, this new image. Okay. So it, it sounds like righteousness is more the fact that our, our actions are to be sinless. Yeah. According to what, according what is to what God, God determines yeah. what sinless actions are. Everything God does is righteous. So every, all of God's ways and everything that is the definition of righteousness. He is holy because no one behaves like him. And so we must be holy just like God is holy, but we, and by doing the righteous deeds that he wants us to do. That is how we do that. Right. So you can have a non-Christian that has righteous actions every now and then, Mm -hmm. but they themselves aren't holy because they haven't committed themselves to God. Yeah. Nor have they been forgiven of their sins. Exactly. And so just because they may do similar deeds, that does not earn them any salvation or any benefit. Exactly. Yeah. I agree with that. But yeah, I think that's uh, probably a good place to wrap. Um, I had a few more things that I wanted to say before we wrap. How can we not? (laughs) How can Mark not? As long as I don't put it in a a rap form. (laughs) Um, I was thinking the renewing. There's an example here that he actually talks about in the previous versions of uh, the hardness of their heart. Um, and I was thinking a good example is Ezekiel eleven nineteen when God is talking about his promise being fulfilled. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose heart goes after their detestable things and their abominations, I will bring their deeds upon their own heads, declares the Lord God. So I was thinking like, that's a good example here where he's the one who gave us the heart, this new heart. Um, He's the one who gave us this or created this new self that we put on. Um, And he's also the one who renews um, our minds in the spirit and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. So it's just like, he does all this work for us and he's already done it. We should just go ahead and accept it and do it. Mm-hmm. Know what I mean? Yep. Serge, what were you saying before? I forget. I, I was like, I agree, but I disagree. Um, about something about righteousness and holiness. <laughs> I forget what it was. I'm still deep in thought about that. 
um, it was it was definitely along those terms of righteous. Um, oh, I was talking about the whole homosexuality thing, how mm. the world understanding of what is and is not righteousness. Mm. It's it's constantly fluctuating, and in recent times, it's their standards have gone way down. But th- the true yeah. righteousness is in God, and that should be our standard. That's where I was going. Yeah, I think men are sinful, right? And so the United States was founded based off of a Christian as well as a a, a moral ground. Um, and that's why it's... But men have perverted and have gone away from that. And so that's why there's a continuation of such thing. But even at that time, I was just thinking as an example where when Christ um, tells those around him and his disciples are present about divorce and what's what's a plausible reason for divorce and what isn't. And then his disciples themselves asks him at, or even say, what's the point of getting married then? Because his teaching on divorce was radical even amongst the Jews at the time. So I think there's, yes, both you know, the Jewish nation was brought up in the word of God. And so they had morally their ground was, I guess, higher compared to the Gentiles. And that's why he brings up the Gentiles in verse 17, but we're still depraved. We're still sinners and we'll never achieve the same righteousness or even holiness uh, as God has without his help. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I, I think there's always this constant downhill regardless of what, happens. Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is a good example. And that's why I think he also brings up the Gentiles because they had no control or no limits. And that's kind of where we're going now. Yeah. So I agree, but I also disagree because I think there was like, you can go back further and how um, civilizations have always just kind of gone down to debauchery. Debauchery. Yeah. And like they say, history repeats itself. And yeah. It's definitely evident nowadays. Um, but I'll go ahead and wrap up. So we talked about how what it means to not walk as a Christian, right? Mm-hmm. We we hear you see here that Paul many times over, not just in Ephesians, but in many of his letters, goes about saying how we are to put off our old self. We need to put off this. Uh, the world has one standard of living and what they seem acceptable. God's standard of living and what he seems acceptable is completely different. And we are to be able to discern exactly how our cold open was. It is up to us to discern what is righteous and holy before God and what is not, what's going to bring him glory and what isn't. And we can only be truly righteous and holy in God if we accept Christ as our savior and allow him to do his work in us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And through the word of God. And through the word of God. I'll go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this wonderful time that we had again to come here together around your word and that you continue to speak through us and that you teach us new things and there's still so much to learn. And I pray that you be with us wherever we may be. I pray for our listeners that through this ministry they can come to know you more that you touch their hearts those that have not accepted you yet that you open their eyes and give them this new heart of longing for you god that you create a new creation in them and that all of us can put off our old self and put on our new self in your likeness and that you'll be glorified in our lives amen amen thank you for joining us today we hope god was able to speak to your heart so now you can go and share it with others 
Feel free to leave any questions, prayer requests, or blessings. Join us on Instagram and share our podcast to others. And remember, always keep your heart in Scripture.